one through three, but as always, it gets a lot deeper and there's more answers. So it's going to be uh, dealing with James 4, 1 through 10 today. Um, and it, it's going to be discussing a little bit about what, what's going on. They talk about fights, quarrels, and battles and all that. So uh, I first want to start off with when I hear the word battle, there's a few battles that pop into my mind. The first battle is that of the Battle of Midway. Uh, battle of Midway was in the Pacific Ocean. It was uh, during World War II. It happened on June 4th through the 7th in 1942. I know some of you were probably, you know, 30 or 40 at that age. So, you know, there you go. Uh, uh, but this was six months after the attack of uh, Pearl Harbor. And it was, uh, you see, the airships there was mostly fought by aircraft. But this was a pivotal fight. It, it wasn't the biggest, it was one of the biggest battles. It wasn't the only battle, but it was one of the biggest battles there that turned the tide to stopping more advancement uh, in the Pacific Ocean. Another one, another battle that comes to mind is that of the Battle of the Bulge. Okay, now this was the last major German push through the Allies to try to win the war. This was their one of their last stands, and this was lasted during a five-week period of December sixteenth, nineteen forty-four to January twenty-eighth, nineteen forty-five, and it was towards the end of the war in Europe. And the bulge was the fact that they were trying to push through and try to push through the allies and try to battle that, uh, that way. And it was the allies won a huge battle there. And that was basically uh, the resulting into a significant loss for the Germans, uh, despite the surprise attack that they made at the Battle of the Bulge. And then there's one other battle that comes to my mind a lot, and that is the battle for the old oaken bucket. So this is a battle that has happened since 1927. It's between the Indiana Hoosiers and the Purdue football team, which, let's be honest, those aren't two great football powers. But what has happened is you see there's a battle there and, uh, you know, in the sense that they get a bucket. Wow, what a trophy. Uh, but if you win, you get to put an I if you're Indiana or a P, if you're Purdue, very creative. And then uh, you get to hold that and do that. But at the end of the day, when there's a battle, someone wins and someone loses. And there's a battle going on, and that is the case no matter what. And now, let's be honest, we know there's huge differences between a football game and that of World War II. But in any sense, battles are happening. And that leads to point number one, the battle against others and ourselves. Let's start with the battle against others. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Okay, he's laying it out right away. James is laying this out. What's, what's causing fights and quarrels? One, that would mean there are fights and quarrels. You know, there's something going on there that is happening in this sense. And what, is, what James does really well here, because, yeah, why would you expect anything less, is 
he's going to explain what happens and, uh, the, and why this is happening so much. The, well, James does a great job, and I love good mystery movies, and I know some of you love good mystery books or adventure books. It's one of those, at the end of the movie, you look back and you're like, oh, all that makes sense now. Like you've seen a movie, it's Mission Impossible, he takes his mask off at the end, and you're like, oh my goodness, that makes sense. Because he was this guy during this part, and it all adds up. That's what James is doing, what has led to these fights and quarrels. And, and I love this quote by Guzik before we dig into that. He goes, he says this, No two believers who are both walking in the Spirit of God towards each other can live with wars and fights among themselves. No two that are walking with Christ can have fights and quarrels if they are going the same direction towards Christ. It says this, Why? What causes these fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? And I'm, I'm going to skip the you desire part because I'm going to go to the you covet because you can see what he's doing here. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. So that first part, he's answering the first question. You covet. What is covet? Well, I, I like this song. When I hear the word covet, this one song always comes to my mind. It's by this rapper named NF. He really started in the, the Jesus uh, form. I'm not saying where he is now, but he says this line, and every time I hear it, it sort of makes me think of the, what covetousness is. It's in his song, Returns, and no, I'm not going to rap it. You're welcome. But he says, what is perfect? Not me. I've been overworking for weeks. And then this is the line that always gets me. I go home then, purchase some things that I know will not fill my needs. I will go home and purchase some things that I know will not fill my needs. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. The word covet means to be filled with envy, opposition, bitter, personal ambition. It's one of the words I think is very poignant when you say covet. And I think we go, the flesh wants what it wants. You want something, you want to go get it. And when you can't get it, and when you can't get what you want, you are dissatisfied. There's resentment. There's annoyance, anger. And that stuff begins to fill your life. Because you couldn't get it, then you start resenting. And then you start getting angry. So you quarrel and fight. I said I would go back to desire. It says you desire, in verse 2, the star verse, so you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. Another great word is you lust. You desire, but you lust. And, and, I, and this desire is not a holy desire. This desire is that of sinful or misplaced passions. Or to burn with evil desire. Or a strong craving for something. I like the quote from Dr. Johnny Hunt on his commentary of James when he says, When a strong, sinful lust is not gratified... The worldly person is prone to lash out in anger or frustration. Sinful pleasure is never, never able to produce all it promises. I was a freshman in high school. And as we talk, 
uh, you know that I like sports. I just used a, a sports analogy there. I played basketball. Now, don't get this wrong. Uh, I was not as great as I say I was, okay? But I was, I was good enough to play. My freshman year, the last month of the season, I got moved up to JV, okay? I'm no longer freshman. I'm JV, all right? Moving up, trying to get to that varsity spot. I move up, and me and a couple buddies were on the JV team. In that first week of practice, we dominated the JV guys. We were playing so well, so we got through that week. And then the next week, that Monday and Tuesday, we were still outperforming them. So that Tuesday night, that coach says, hey, you and my buddy Casey, you guys are starting. You guys are starting JV. Woo! As a freshman kid, I was super excited. What was I doing? I was telling everybody, I'm starting freshman. I'm a starting freshman on JV. I was telling everyone, my family, my grandparents, you know, probably a lot of, a lot of people that didn't even care who I was. Hey, I'm playing. And they're like, all right. Friday night comes around. Now, this is how Friday nights work, okay? From the town that I'm from, we had our weekend planned, okay? Friday night was basketball night. Saturday night was date night, except I didn't have a date. Uh, and Sunday, Sunday was church. That was the weekend. That was the way that it was when I was growing up. So, but even Friday night was planned. After school, 310, school ended, 3.30, we're having team meal, 3.30 to 4. Then we would go and shoot around. We'd shoot like and just hang out. And then we'd go back into the locker room. Before, because the, the game started at 6, we'd go in the locker room, and then there'd be a, uh, we'd have a quick talk, and then we would go out, and then we'd do a 20-minute warm-up before the game. Okay? I'm still hyped. The food, like, I can't remember. what we were just super excited. So I eat, go out, shoot and doing all that kind of stuff, and then I go into the, the, the meeting before we do our 20-minute warm-up. The coach comes, and he says, change of plans I'm not starring you and Casey. <laughs> Something began to change in me. The joy that was in my life had turned quickly to anger, to frustration. I can tell you after the game, I got told, I can remember two things about the game, they're worthless things, but I got put in the last minute of the game because coach wanted me to get fouled to shoot free throws. I was good at free throws, but he put me in to, to shoot free throws, and I was so mad that every time I, he's like, get the ball and hold it and get fouled. And every time I touched the ball, they threw it to me. I just threw it away right away. I was angry and mad and frustrated. And I remember once coach was done talking, I grabbed my stuff and we were supposed to stay. I remember going to the car. Remember the red Toyota truck that I was in and I was in there and there were feelings of bitterness, of anger, of tears, of what had just happened in that situation in my life. Now, I don't know what the coaches desires were, what they promised, but I had felt lied to. I had felt hurt. I had felt broken. They did not produce what they had promised. And how many times things of the world, when you strive after things and it, doesn't, it does not come to fruition, we too get angry and bitter. 
This passage, what we are just diving into, actually reveals man's natural heart. When you seek from the world, and when you seek from the world, it's never enough. We talked a few weeks ago about the stat that money-wise, that there's always a pursuit of more. Most people, when they're studied, if they, they make 70, they want 150. If they want make 150, it's 300. It's not enough. It's the, the desire of the heart. There is a battle within ourselves and within others. But we are to live as, I would say, Psalms 133 states, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. We're supposed to be living in unity. Now, one thing about this, I don't want to say, though, too, that there's never disagreements. There's never not discussions, but we're supposed to live in unity to figure it out because we are walking in the same direction. This leads to the second part of verse 2 and 3. It says this. It says, you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. The second point is unholy prayer. Many of us have this problem. The first sub-point, I would say, of that is problem one is that you don't ask. There's no asking. It says right here in verse 1, you do not have because you do not ask. James in this all of this wants to put us in the correct position of how we are viewing God. And we talked about this in the Lord's Prayer. That's what's happening on. Put us in the correct position. But how many of us believe we can do things on our own? How many of us believe that if we work hard enough, we can get it? We have enough wisdom. We have enough self-efficiency. We have enough willpower. We can get it done. Because this is the way I'm, we just were talking in Sunday school. How many of us struggle to ask for help? Now, if our neighbor came and said, hey, will you help me with this? We're there. But when it comes to ourselves, it's like, no, we can do it on ourselves. Men and women, we have that. Where we don't have the unity where it's, I can do it. We can take care of ourselves. So we don't even ask. And the problem is, is the only times when we really ask is when it's desperation. You got nowhere else to turn. So we don't ask, then that leaves, when you do ask, we ask with wrong motives. What James is saying here is that we ask in self-centered prayers. We are asking selfishly. Once again, I like how Dr. Johnny Hunt puts this. He says, prayer can be a cloak to hide our real desires. Instead of seeking God's will in prayer, sometimes people tell God what he is supposed to do and then get angry when he does not obey us. The prayer that seeks to satisfy one's own pleasure is an insult to God. As Wearsby says it very well, it says, It has well been said that the purpose of prayer is not to get men's will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. Are we lined up correctly? Are we doing unholy prayer? Do we know where all good things come from? 
Do we know where that comes from? It says in James 1:17, just a few chapters earlier, it says every good and perfect gift is from above. If we're seeking things on our own and we're doing it on our own and then we don't ask and we're asking selfishly, we're going to the wrong source. The source, all things good come from above. In Matthew 6, many people know this verse, but seek first, what? The kingdom of God. But seek first, they're tell, the Bible is telling you, seek first the kingdom of God. Get your priorities lined up. And His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. That leads to our, the third point, and that is the posture towards God. What's our posture towards God? There's sort of three subpoints that I'm going to be talking about in uh, here, and and they sort of come from uh, a couple of verses here a little bit later in verse seven. We start with here is verse seven says, "Submit yourself then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you." The first subpoint is submit yourself to God, yield to a superior force. Let's go back to the battle that we've been talking about at the beginning, the battle of Midway, the battle of the Oaken Bucket, you know, whatever, those battles. If we start that, we, let's talk about positions of rank. The Marines. Now, I'm not a Marine. I had to look this up on, online. I think they wanted me to sign up for the Marine ship. Uh, that's not going to work on uh, their half or my half. It's not going to work out. But when you start talking positions, different people have different ranks. It starts with private, then private first class, then lance corporal, then corporal, then sergeant, then staff sergeant, then gunnery sergeant, then master sergeant, first sergeant, mastery gunnery sergeant, then sergeant major, then sergeant major of the Marine Corps. There's a hierarchy. If I got one of those wrongs, I'm sorry. But I can guarantee you this. No private or sergeant is telling what sergeant major to do. Right? No sergeant's be like, I think we're going the wrong direction, sir. Uh, I'm going to go this way. Okay? Go that way. I'm sure that's, well, let's all go that way. I'm not saying they don't listen. I'm just saying when the sergeant major makes a decision, the decision is made. And we're supposed to submit ourselves to God and put ourselves into the proper rank. The best part is, you're on the winning team. The best part is, you're in the winning, the, the family. I think that's one thing that believing loyalty is that of believing that you're in the family of God. You're, you believe who Jesus is, that faith, and so now you have this believing loyalty and you're in that. But you submit yourself to where God is, and you submit yourself to God. Subpoint number two is in verse eight. It's the next thing. It says, come near to God. My point is, get close to God. It says, come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. James is saying, if you want to get close to God, repent, confess, and let God purify your hearts. When the sin is no more, God draws near to us and gets closer to us. 
Right now, physically, I am closer to Carolyn than any others of you. Correct? Just making sure no one's behind me. But I'm physically closer. But I can say this. I would say I'm closer to my wife overall. Correct? Why would that be? Well, married, but what does married entailed? Emotional, there's more. There's, more. there's a closeness there. Yeah, there's a closeness there that I don't, no offense, Carolyn, I don't have with you. I don't have, there's a closeness there because I've been closer with her longer in more situations, in more things. We've gone through things that no other people have gone through. We've talked about things that I don't talk to with other people. There's a closeness there. And there, that, that's a difference of physical, but are you that close to God? Do you get close on Sunday church and then walk away the rest of the week? You can be close physically, but not really close the other emotional ways, the married ways, the almost the unexplainable ways, the almost the supernatural ways. That's the closeness God wants. He wants the closeness that is much more intimate, much more real than the show of, hey, look, look who I'm by, cool. Here, let's get a Snapchat. I'm out of here. He wants the real closeness. And we're called to be close to him. And here's the thing that blows my mind. What a joy that is that God wants to be close to us. Too many of us think it's like, oh, I got to do. God wants us to be close with him, know him, walk with him. Over and over again. What a joy that is. God of the universe wants to be close with us and he wants us to be close with him. And then sub point number three is that of verses 9 and 10. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So humble yourself. Psalms 51, 17 um, talks about that. Is, uh, is that of being close to God or that of a broken spirit? A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise those things. Of a humble, humble heart. Me and Brad and some other people have been talking recently, like there's the, uh, and this happened a couple weeks ago, it's like people was like, oh God, hum- humble me. I'm just letting you know that's a dangerous prayer. It's a dangerous prayer. I'm not saying that you shouldn't pray it. I would much rather be humble and close to God. But also what I find really interesting here is it says, humble yourself. You can humble yourself before God. You can be in the right standing before God. We are to humble ourselves by submitting ourselves and confessing our and your sins to God. By knowing our rank and drawing near to Him, we can know that the battle is won. I'm going to have the band come up now uh, to close, but as they do, um, we talked about all these battles. This is where it's really interesting. All those battles that I put on the screen, the Battle of Midway, the Battle of the Bulge, you can look back now and see who won. Even the battle between Indiana and Purdue, you can look back and see the records. I'm not going to say who won more because it does not work out in my favor. But 
you can look back and you see history and you see in history who won those battles. The thing right now is you're in a battle and we're acting like we don't know who won. We know who wins. How great is that? We're still in the middle of it, but some of you today have to start looking at, where am I at in this battle? What's my rank? Am I even in it? Am I sitting on the sidelines? Some of you might be like, hey, I don't even ask God for things. I don't even go to God because I've done it all by myself for so too long. I'm carrying the weight. I'm doing it. Some of you, when you do ask, you ask selfishly with a heart that is like, oh, whatever benefits me. You know, when you do that, you are basically saying, God, you are beneath me. That's what your actions saying. You might not come out and say it, but that's what your actions do. And that's not what we're supposed to be doing. And how does that look in our lives? Are you that of unholy prayer? And what is your posture towards God? What is that in everyday life? Are you postures correctly? Are you on your knees? Are you just trying to figure it out? And what's so unique is all of us are in different spots. Some of us had a painful week. Some of us had a joyful week. I can't, I can't be there with you in that, but you know who can? Your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ the victor. And I think we have to rest on that the victory's won. But let's not forget that there is a battle going on. And we're not supposed to be battling with others. That's not who we're supposed to be battling with. We're supposed to love others. We're supposed to care for others. We're supposed to, to get things right with others and ask for forgiveness. Even last week, I had a little dispute with a couple people, and I had to go and ask for forgiveness and make it right. Because that's, do you think that was fun for me? No, but I know the battle I'm in. Because I know pride can come over. I know that John Pells can take the lead and I, need, and I forget my rank. I'm asking you not to forget your rank. Submit yourself in the proper standing and all that. As they sing, deal with it. If you have a battle within right now, deal with it. Don't wait till you walk out the door and say, I'll deal with it. No, that, that doesn't happen. Deal with it. If you have an argument with your wife, deal with it. If you have an argument like with other things, deal with it. Don't let it hold on. Because here's the a funny thing, 
is I want to be celebrating like the celebration of your throat cancer is clear for five years. But how many of us have held on to sin for five years and never dealt with it? Like, well, we'll just never. It will take care of itself. No, you know what's happening? You lost the battle. There's a winner and there's a loser. I'm sorry to say. It's the battle. There's a battle going on. Don't. You have the winning team, but you got to go to them. Deal with it. Deal with it. Let's sing.